The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perot columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Our guest today is Gavin Lockyer, Managing Director of Arafura Resources. It's listed under the code ARU and is trading at about 7.8 cents for a market cap of around $84 million. Listeners to the Explorers podcast will remember that we had a chat to Gavin in September last year, which continues to be worth having a listen to, if I say so myself. It explains uh, Gavin's background and how since joining the company in 2006, he and his team have been flat chat establishing the company as a rare earths uh, producer with an emphasis on NDPR supply to magnet manufacturers in the EV and renewable energy supply change from its Nolans project in the Northern Territory. The plan is to be second only to ASX listed Linus Corp in terms of NDPR production. And it's again worth noting there that Linus today is a $1.5 billion company after escaping from a $1.1 billion bid from Wesfarmers last year. Now lots has been happening at Nolans and in the rare earths market as the US, Japan, Australia and other countries ramp up efforts to ensure new non-Chinese supplies of what are both strategic and critical commodities for a range of new age technologies and industries. Now with that, I'll welcome Gavin back to the Explorers uh, podcast and say good day. G'day Barry, thanks for having me back. Now I'm pretty sure since last time we spoke there has been an absolute step up in geopolitical concerns around the rare rare earths market, particularly you know this idea that the world needs to secure non-Chinese supplies going forward. Can you run through some of the, what you see as some of the highlights in that area and that, what it would mean for the project's inevitable financing and construction? Sure. Look, this is not a problem that uh, has just appeared due to the um, US-China uh, trade dispute. This is something that's been brewing for a very long time. And for the last 10 years or so, China has been focused on developing its own EV industry, electric vehicle industry, and they have flowed capital towards the uh, the back end or downstream processing and away from from mining and and uh, front end capacity to the point now where they have a complete value chain from ore all the way through to final magnets and components and obviously electric vehicles, and this is all part of the Made in China 2025 strategy, and. Most analysts have been predicting for some time that by the mid-2020s, i.e. 2025, China will become a net importer of NDPR, which is the neodymium praseodymium key magnet material. And what we're seeing now is that uh, some of the larger, particularly European automakers, uh, the Koreans and the Japanese, are really starting to set their uh, EV strategies and their procurement strategies for for that period of time, and they're suddenly realising that um, this material is going to be in short supply. And so, what we're finding through our discussions is that um, there's a growing interest. They've, they've there's been a bit of a learning curve. Uh, obviously, if you're an automaker, 
in uh, in Germany. That's a long way from digging up some dirt in Central Australia. So it's been a, a learning process from both sides, understanding each other's businesses, and uh, and I think that uh, with the you know the geopolitical stuff that's been going on, we'll start to see some movement in terms of capital flows into our sector through 2020. And on top of that, you've got both the EU government, you've got the Australian government has established the Critical uh, Minerals Facilitation Office now, and also uh, expanded the uh, the old EFIC into the, an EFA, Export Finance Australia, and broadened its mandate as to the types of uh, industries or, or uh, critical products it can invest in. So we're, we're hopeful that augurs well for our fear and, and, and getting our funding together through 2020. Mm-hmm. As you touched on there, the governments here, there and just about everywhere have, uh, keep talking about the need for these new supplies. But And Australian government has set up that critical uh, minerals unit. But when do you see uh, some action on, on that front? We've been in discussion with uh, with the you know Prime Minister and Cabinet's department for nearly eighteen months now, uh, and that accumulated, I guess, in uh, in our Prime Minister meeting with the President in uh, late last year, followed on then by some uh, ministerial meetings with Senator Canavan, uh, Senator Birmingham, and Secretary of Commerce uh, Wilbur Ross in the US, and then obviously now the uh, facilitation late in the last year for of this new new office and the EFA. We've had already uh, three meetings with the EFA and they are you know trying to get their head around the uh, the market where they can best um, I guess mobilize uh, government funding into the sector in order to make sure that uh, you know they're not cherry picking projects that it's actually developing an industry that is uh, outside the Chinese supply chain. So I haven't really answered your question. Uh, I don't really know. I'm, I'm hopeful that, um, you know, sometime this year, perhaps in the next six months, we might actually get some uh, some traction as to where whether or not there'll be meaningful cash flows coming into uh, the critical mineral sector. Yeah, I guess as an observer, one of the thoughts I had during the US-China uh, trade war escalation, which has now subsided, of course, was that there seems to be um, a lot of concern going forward. But what you're saying is it's uh, don't focus just on what flared up during the trade war around Rio. Let's look at the sort of 10-year picture, this emerging supply deficit in the middle of the decade. Is that right? Absolutely. The problem hasn't gone away. It's always been there. What a lot of uh, sort of readers or um, people in the space haven't really uh, got uh, cottoned onto yet, I believe, is... Uh, China has pretty limited reserves of, of lithium and the battery technology metals. So uh, it spent a lot of time through 2018, 19, mm-hmm. actually investing and securing its supply chain in, in those areas. And that sort of shocked the rest of the world into some action saying, well, we better do something about it as well. The rest of the world hasn't realised that China doesn't need to do anything on NDPR because it controls the market. So uh, I think the rest of the world's been caught a little bit asleep here. Uh, the problem hasn't just appeared. It's always been there. It's just they're now starting to realise it. And um, we're, we're hopeful that now that the governments have sort of uh, cottoned onto it as well, that uh, it has a, a, a trickle-down effect into industry and, and, and ultimately uh, long-term offtake agreements, which uh, is what we require in order to secure our funding uh, Gavin, uh, 2019 was a pretty exciting one for the company, which was uh, reflected in some share price strength there. 
And uh, the expectation seems to be that 2020 could be a watershed one. So first up, I'll get you to update us on just where the project is at and what's happening on the uh, critical financing requirement side of things. Well, you're absolutely correct. 2019 uh, really set us up for the year ahead. Uh, we, we managed to raise $23 million in the middle of the year. That was uh, cornerstoned by, some, uh, by Telaxis, a part of the Noble Group. And uh, we, we were really happy to welcome some uh, key institutional investors alongside Telaxis into that uh, capital raising. That uh, obviously gave us the funding required to really start our uh, front-end engineering or pre-feed work for the project, uh, following on from completion of the feasibility study in, in February last year. So it's uh, it's really been a watershed moment really for us uh, last year. And uh, we, we spent the quarter looking at ways that we could fast track the project through 2020 uh, and, and hit the ground running in, in January, which is what we've done. And uh, I think our quarterly report that was released uh, last week is uh, a testament to, to all the work that my, my team has been doing. Mm. Now, they, uh, the quarterly report had a, probably the longest list of highlights I've seen in most quarterly reports uh, this reporting <laughs> season. But if you had to pick one or two of those as key indicators of uh, this is 2020 being a big year for the project, what uh, two or three would you pick? Uh, I think being able to attract key consultants that are uh, world-renowned, uh, and, and that's what we've done in the appointment of uh, KPR as our in-house engineering team uh, to su supplement the team that we already have within Arafura. I think that's uh, that's one of the highlights of the quarter. We progressed uh, discussions with uh, Telaxis, our, our key shareholder, for uh, how we might be able to leverage off some of their capabilities through 2020, and we hope to be in a position to announce uh, something there in the next couple of weeks. We appointed and, and strengthened our board through the appointment of uh, Kathy Moises, who's a well-regarded, yep. well-respected former analyst uh, in the resources sector. Yeah, very well known. Yeah, and, and, and really uh, just building on our own internal capacities and, and making sure that the company is streamlined. By, you know, we've cut, out, cut a lot of internal costs uh, out of the process. Uh, and making sure that we're ready to go, as I said, in, in 2020, when I think the geopolitical and also the financial markets will, will really open up this year. Just on uh, KBR, for those who don't know, can you tell us a bit about them and this? Uh, what's the nature of this integrated project management team, quote unquote? If, if we were a BHP or a Rio, you'd have a, a, a large team of uh, engineer capacity, engineering capacity within your organisation. Uh, we try to keep things fairly lean, uh, being the junior end of town. And so we bring in uh, expertise as we require it. So uh, instead of employing you know, another 30-odd engineers and then having to let them go at the end of the project, uh, we sort of tag in consultants as and when we need them. And, uh, and, and that provides us with access to a whole range of um, different skill sets uh, to complement our own. So KBR is a globally known uh, engineering firm. I think their, their head office is, uh, is in the USA and they've uh, got a reputation of, of delivering uh, large scale projects uh, and complex projects. Obviously, rare earths have their own uh, unique intricacies. Uh, and so we're hoping to leverage off their expertise and uh, and and hopefully uh, deliver some reward and benefit within our, our capital and operating cost environment. Mm. Uh, it was uh, suggested at the AGM 
last year that possibly there could be a commitment to, to the project by the end of March 2020. Is that still the case or there might be a bit of slippage there? Well, I think as, a, as we highlighted in the quarterly, we have uh, slipped that um, timeline by a couple of months. The reason being we uh, were tendering uh, for various packages of work and just with the holiday break and availability of people uh, within the engineering fraternity to be able to commit to our timelines, it just wasn't possible. So uh, we've extended that and uh, we'd, we'd still like to commit to project uh, by the middle of the year. Yeah. And given uh, project life is, what, 23 years plus, a few months here or there's not uh, going to matter in the long run? Well, that's right. Uh, it's 23 years, but also uh, we undertook some metallurgical work and a drill program in last quarter, and uh, and that's looking highly likely to confirm the extension of that mine life. So that'll be announced in the first quarter this year, and uh, we're, we're, we're targeting an extension of somewhere between five and 10 years. So you're right, a couple of months slippage at this front end is, is not going to really affect the, uh, the project long term. Uh, the company has indicated that the financing requirement will be obviously met with a, a combination of you know, export credit agencies, uh, perhaps the uh, Australian Infrastructure Fund, commercial banks and uh, perhaps possibly a project equity sell-down. On that last point, is there any advances on that? Not really. Um, I think we've always made the statement that um, we're a, a mega project being developed by a, a small market cap company and, and there's nobody in the organisation that has an ego big enough that thinks that we can do it alone. Uh, we are always talking to various groups around a strategic uh, position in, in the company. Uh, we've had no offers on the table per se. I think last time we were here you were talking about the West Farmers bid over Linus and then mm -hmm. Kidman. We haven't, we haven't progressed discussions with any uh, large organisation like that in any meaningful way, shape or form, but there is some interest, but uh, I, I wouldn't say that it's um, anything likely to cement itself in the next uh, next little while, that's mm -hmm. for sure. Okay. And just uh, more generally, the, what's happening in the NDPR market, uh, price-wise, demand-wise in recent times? Very interesting that uh, last year, uh, when Australia and uh, the US announced their cooperation on the critical mineral space, uh, the Chinese uh, expanded or uplifted the export quota for material in the second half of the year. China Northern, the largest uh, producer of NDPR in the world, basically dropped price. And, and so prices have been a bit subdued for the last uh, three months or so. That is contrary to the feedback we're getting magnet producers. And uh, many of those magnet producers uh, sit within China. And even one of them, uh, Jing Shi Magnet Company, reported in Asian Metals uh, just last week that their magnet uh, sales were up 20-odd percent in, uh, in the last quarter of, of 2019. So the price of the Commodity doesn't seem to tie up with uh, what we're hearing out of the uh, demand mm. side. And are there any external assessments out there how long the Chinese could treat NDPR as a bit of a, a swing commodity or will it get to the stage where they'll just have to be husbanding all the supplies for its, its own supply chain? Uh, no, I, I really don't know. I think when you start seeing further investment into the sector that you know, say automakers who really aren't price sensitive to NDPR, 
because you only use a very small amount of it in, in an electric vehicle or any vehicle for that matter. Um, when they realise that um, if they want to break the cycle and have security of supply, that they're going to have to pay a, a, a more accurate market price for the product and therefore that uh, provides us with um, you know long-term offtake agreements, I think that's when perhaps we'll start seeing some published prices of NDPR go back to more normal mm. levels. What uh, do you guys consider to be a sort of long-term average? Our feasibility study, we, we use an average of about $70 a kilo and it's currently $40 a kilo, so uh, a little way off. All, most of last year it ranged between 70 and about uh, about 50 and then towards the end of the year it, it went down to 45, sat there for a while and then, as I said, dropped to about $40 a kilo right at the very end of 2019. So 70 bucks a kilo, um, I think most analysts out there say that any new projects uh, in order to meet their funding commitments and pay back debt will require at least $65 a kilo. I don't sort of disagree with those analysts. And just uh, finally, uh, back on the project itself in sunny Northern Territory there, the uh, Native Title Mining Agreement, uh, how's that progressing? It's going well. We've had uh, a number of um, discussions with the uh, Central Land Council now. Uh, we received a counteroffer from them uh, last week and uh, we've got meetings lined up in Alice Springs next week. So we're hopeful that uh, we can have this closed out in the next little while. Uh, and then obviously once we've uh, got the native title agreement signed, that will then allow the NT government uh, the opportunity to grant us the mining licence, which gives us ten tenure over the asset for 25 years minimum. And uh, perhaps you can just give us a little feel for what investors should look forward to in terms of perhaps milestone announcements in the coming months. Yeah, look, we'd like to, uh, obviously funding is the big one for us. Uh, we've been working with a number of organisations who are promoting their wares in terms of uh, providing us with corporate advisory, debt advisory, equity advisory. And so we would be looking to crank up that activity in terms of you know appointment of of various uh, groups to assist us in in pulling together the project finance so that's the big ticket item for us this year obviously we'll continue to work with our potential customers uh, and engagement we've got advanced term sheets with a range of organisations across the globe and we'd hope to uh, cement some of those offtake agreements in the coming few months as well and all of that obviously assists us with the funding. And then on the project itself, as I said, uh, get our native title agreement uh, signed and mining lease granted. But uh, also in the background, we're doing a lot of work internally with uh, KBR and, and WAVE, who are also uh, subcontracting into our project team to uh, to build up the engineering capacity and, and to move into a, into a feed situation or a front-end engineering design mm -hmm. position such that we have a targeted cost estimate by about the third quarter of this year. So a lot of activity going on. Yes, indeed. Uh, as I suggested at the start, as it all comes together, 2020 uh, could be the watershed year. So lots to look forward to. And can I just say uh, all the best with it and enjoy talking to you again and we'll speak to you again soon. Bye. Thanks very much, Barry. Bye.